Well, this morning we continue our series of messages on uh, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a great Jewish leader who led a magnificent effort to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Despite external harsh critics and fierce opposition, he and his people were determined to finish the wall. So, you know, brick by brick, stone by stone, they, had, they, they persevered. And uh, it took them 52 days, but, uh, but in the end, uh, they could claim victory over that. But it wasn't long before they faced internal conflict that was sparked by a terrible famine and uh, by poor economic conditions. And uh, so we pick up the story in the fifth chapter of the book of Nehemiah uh, in the Old Testament. <clears throat> this is uh, Nehemiah's account of what happened. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax in our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let's stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We'll give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I, uh, I find the study of Nehemiah to be spiritually rich. I hope you do too. There's so many lessons here about life and about leadership and about responsibility. Nehemiah, above all, was a builder. And uh, we've been saying that there's a sense in which you and I are builders also. God is out to restore this broken world according to God's own plan and purpose, and God has enlisted the likes of you and me to join Him in that work. So uh, we are to build up what has been broken down in our life and in our families, in our, in our community, in our society, in, and the world beyond. We're builders. 
builders of the kingdom, although ultimately God brings in his kingdom. But again, God wants to use you and me. But it's not easy being a builder. The power of evil is very real. Selfishness and sin seek to destroy all that is good and true and beautiful in this life, driving people apart, ruining lives. You know, I know that all is not right with this world. This world is not as God intended it to be from the beginning. There's a lot of brokenness and evil and injustice abound. And you know what? That ought to bother us. It ought to bother us. It ought to make us downright good and mad. That's right, good and mad. Sounds kind of like a, an oxymoron, because usually being mad is not good. We all know how anger, anger can be incredibly destructive. Uncontrolled anger leads people to do all kinds of irrational things. The effect of uncontrolled rage are all around us, so we have road rage, and we have child abuse, and we have uh, you know, murder, I mean, violence abounds. It's no wonder, then, that the Bible condemns anger. That is the kind of anger that springs from impure motives and has a strong element of selfishness and a spirit of vengeance. It's no wonder that Jesus had some tough words against uh, being angry with your brother. He said, basically, to be angry with your brother and to write them off is tantamount to murder. Anger is dan dangerous. It's been called the devil's furnace. And rightly so, because of the terrible heat of unrighteous anger has destroyed so many lives. So, yes, it is usually bad to be mad. But there are times when it is good to be mad. There is such a thing as righteous anger. And Jesus fam famously displayed such anger when he arrived in Jerusalem and uh, entered the the temple precincts. And uh, so uh, we read the account, actually in the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts, and this is a familiar story to you. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, is it not written... My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you, you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus was good and mad. Good and mad. He was angry that the poor were being exploited by the money changers because they were never giving back the right change. And he was angry that they were turning the house of prayer into a den of robbers. Jesus was not always gentle and meek and mild. For Jesus, and this is important to understand, his anger was actually the other side of his love. It was precisely because he loved his Father in heaven that he railed against those who were defiling worship in the temple. It was precisely because he loved people so that he spoke out against their explo exploitation. If he was angry, it's because he cared so much, because he loved others. 
Someone has put it this way. Anger is not the opposite of love. Often it is love's clearest expression. How can we love people and stand by while they are wounded and exploited by selfish people? So that we who follow Jesus and practice His love may well have to rage with Him in the temple against evil and injustice and all that oppresses people and destroys God's good creation. We ought to be angry about the suffering of innocent children and the devaluation of human life and the injustice of oppressive governments, cruelty to animals, and so on and on. If we truly care about these things, then there will be occasions when we will be downright angry. But you and I have to be very careful. Very, very careful. For we are not Jesus. And so often our righteous anger can degenerate and become self-righteous so that we become no better than the Pharisees of old, unloving, judgmental, and harsh. And I got to tell you that this applies not only to religious people, but there are many secular Pharisees out there who are enforcing a new kind of cultural moral orthodoxy, browbeating people into submission who don't agree with them. In the name of tolerance, they become very intolerant indeed. People are so quick to write people off who disagree with them and, and, and call them evil, evil people. I know I just thought of this, so I go off script now and then, but um, I really appreciated Ellen DeGeneres, who could sit with President Bush in, and enjoy a football game together in the name of friendship, because, Ellen says, it's about being kind and respectful to other human beings, and you can enjoy somebody even if you disagree with them. And yet now Ellen's getting all kinds of pushback from the Hollywood elite saying, no, George Bush is an evil person. There's something wrong with that. That makes me angry. <laughs> I'm good and mad today as I think of that. And so on all sides, you know, therefore, you got the ever-growing uh, ever incivility in our land. Nobody can agree to disagree and live together in peace and harmony, but no, you have to take sides. And it's either win or lose. Across the board, you're either on board or you're, you're evil. So what may begin as righteous anger becomes so self-righteous, only adding to the world's store of hatred and bitterness. Anger is a very tricky thing. Now put on your philosopher hats right now. We're going to quote Aristotle. He says, this is very right on, anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, oh, that is not easy. <laughs> you know, Paul in his letter to the Ephesians says, in your anger, do not sin. 
Well, Paul, that's easier said than done. It's so easy in our anger, as Paul put it, to give the devil a foothold. So anger, it's a very tricky thing. It's very dangerous. So in our scripture lesson this morning, we find a very angry Nehemiah. Because the wall, as the wall was being built, uh, there was a famine that arose in the land, and people were suffering. And uh, some people were so poor that they could not buy grain to feed their families. And so in order to buy grain, they had to sell their houses and their fields and, uh, and so on. Um, they had to mortgage their fields. Some parents even had to sell their children into slavery to pay the bills. Sadly, that still happens today in some places of the world. Send your kids out into slavery and you know, set them up in a brothel and then get the money back in return. And there was a group of rich people who were actively exploiting the poor, charging unfair interest, lining their own pockets. So the rich were becoming richer and the poor were becoming poorer, which is, of course, a familiar, familiar story down through human, human history. So complaints came to Nehemiah. And the complaints were so vociferous, I haven't used that word lately, vociferous, uh, that even women who are supposed to be silent on most occasions, sorry women, but that's kind of how it was back then, even women were speaking out against the injustice practiced against them. When I heard their outcry and these charges, says Nehemiah, I was very angry. But what's instructive for us is how Nehemiah handled his anger. Nehemiah could have, uh, you know, flown off the handle. You know, he could have um, gone off the deep end in a blind rage. He could have lost control of himself, you know. He could have gone in and, sm and smote. Is that the past tense of smite? Could have smote <laughs> the evildoers with the sword. Uh, you know, he could have taken radical action to get rid of evil people. Um, but notice what he does first. First of all, he says, I pondered them, meaning the circumstances and the charges are being made, in my mind. So we read, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind. And then accused the nobles and the officials. So that true to his character, Nehemiah got a grip on himself and carefully reflected upon the concerns and issues that had aroused his indignation. Whatever Nehemiah does, he seems to do so very prayerfully, very deliberately, and very intentionally. He doesn't fly off the handle. He thinks before he does something stupid. That's a pretty good model for us. For, uh, for us, the degree to which we exercise self-control is the degree to which we will be constructive and helpful in the building of a just society. So much of our trouble today, people don't have self-control. Uh, Pastor Dan Meyer uh, I know, uh, know, I'm aware of this pastor. Uh, he's a great preacher. He put it so well. I mean, he, he could, I couldn't say it as good, as good as he does. Listen to this. He says, 
This is really right on. The extent to which you and I are able to prayerfully ponder the circumstances that arouse us, then control our hottest emotions and focus them into a beam of good purpose, determines whether we will be flamethrowers that destroy or laser surgeons that heal. Anyone can be a cranky bludgeoner of wrongdoers. To be a creative builder requires pondering, self-control, and focus. Oh, man. That's it. That's it. Self-control, thinking first, focus. The great thing about Nehemiah is that he didn't allow his anger to get the best of him, as so many people would. He stopped to think first. He focused his energy and sought to put it to good purpose. Nehemiah channeled his anger into positive action. He faced the problem head on and sought to change the situation in a constructive way. And so he tells us how he did it, right? Just to, to read again. I then accused the nobles and officials, and I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let's stop charging interest. So Nehemiah, yeah, he was angry, but what did he do? He gathered people together to talk about it. They had a chat. He sought to make them aware of the moral consequences of their behavior. He then reminded these folks that they had been called to a higher standard, reflecting the grace and mercy of their God. The amazing thing, I think, is that the people actually listened to Nehemiah because he had a reputation uh, um, for honesty and for leadership, and they respected him. They respected him the way that he dealt with people the way that he handled situations. He earned respect. So therefore, he could gather them together and speak truth into their lives. And apparently they had enough respect, respect that they, they, they knew that there was some love in his anger. They were willing to listen. Uh, and convicted by his words, they all promised to, to do uh, as Nehemiah was saying. They agreed to stop charging exorbitant interest and return property to their original owner. But you see, it was Nehemiah's anger that motivated him to work to address the social justice causes of his time. And it made a difference. Anger actually is a great motivator. It was anger that caused the abolitionists to battle uh, slavery in uh, you know, the 19th century, 18th century, actually. It was anger that uh, caused uh, there to be child labor laws at the beginning of, the, of uh, the last century. It was anger over racism that led to the civil rights movement in the 60s. So there are many things in our world, in our society, that we should be good and mad about. 
but it does no good to be good and mad if it does not bring needed change or reform or find expression in some positive action in a way that brings people together. That's what's lacking in our society. As you know, lots of problems need fixing. So that if we are angry that uh, children are not receiving adequate nutrition and medical care, then we, and we should be, then we should be doing something positive to see that aid gets to those kids. If we are angry that so many children are being exploited by the commercial sex trade, then we need to learn about the issue and direct our efforts to stop it. You know, human trafficking is actually uh, exploiting children, you know, for um, commercial purposes through forced labor and sexual bondage is a huge problem in our society. I don't think we know really how deep it goes. Not only in our society, of course, but in, in the world. It's been identified as the fastest growing criminal industry in the world, second only to drug trafficking, as the most lucrative illegal industry. Does that make us angry? We ought to do something about it. It's not good enough just to be angry. What can we do if that is a passion that touches your heart? Now, we all have different passions and causes. Um, you know, what issue or, or cause arouses your passion? But if we are angry at evil, then we may take some positive, caring action so that evil is, um, evil is overcome with good. Nehemiah got good and mad. He had a righteous anger. He stopped first. He did some thinking first before lashing out. Good policy. I always like the adage, you know, when angry, count to ten. If very angry, count to 100. Good advice. Nehemiah stopped first, pondered the issues that provoked his anger, and then he was moved to take positive action, confronting the issue head on, and sought a solution. But more than that, Nehemiah personally modeled what he preached. He walked his talk. He says he personally lent money and grain to people, but he did not charge interest. And he goes on to say at the end of the chapter, if you continue to read to the end of that chapter, which I hope that you would do, he says that he regularly fed 150 people at his table, residents and visitors. And he took care not to take advantage of his position as governor of the land, but he sought to treat everybody equally. He put himself on the same level as the people of the land. You know, he spoke up against, these practice, against practicing injustice, but he practiced justice in his own life. What a guy. Nehemiah is amazing. So there are many times for you and for me to get good and mad because we are people who care. We love people. We care about God. We care about human beings. We, pair, we, we care about God's world. We ought to hate that which seeks to oppress or exploit or break down or destroy. But you and I are called by God to build. That's a positive thing, you know. We're builders. 
May God give us the grace and wisdom to use our anger responsibly that good may come and that Christ's kingdom may be served.